God's wisdom versus human wisdom. That is the battle playing out in this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. If Paul sounds defensive in the beginning of this, it's because he is. He has been teaching for a long time in the shadow of Greek philosophy. That was all the rage, to hear the lofty words and arguments of Aristotle and Plato. His whole ministry, Paul has been compared to the likes of Aristotle and Plato. Their lofty arguments and eloquent debates were what people were most interested in hearing. When Paul comes into a town and speaks plainly about Christ, he always hears the same complaint. Sounds interesting, it's nice, but it's not as useful as Aristotle's great works. Paul finally gets to a point where he has had it. He puts together all of his learning and studying and comes up with a sermon that any Greek philosopher would love to hear. He studies the rhetoric and the rhythm and heads to Athens to speak on those very steps to prove once and for all that Christ crucified can stand along any Greek philosophy. He fails, and pretty miserably. As he retreats from Athens with his tail between his legs, he writes this letter to the Corinthians. And you can hear in these verses the assurances he must be telling himself. Who needs lofty words and human wisdom? I have the power of God, he says. I don't need to know the theories of Plato and Socrates. I know Christ crucified. Paul is convinced you don't need fancy language or an expensive education to understand this Jesus thing. But he knows when he gets to Corinth, he will be uh, still meeting people who want to hear lofty sermons. So he sends this message ahead to prime them to hear his words not in the shadow of Greek philosophy, but in the light of God's glory. Paul argues that by him not using big words, he's even worthier to be heard. He says big words distract from the message and that he uses a simple worded message so that God's love can shine through the rhetoric. Paul knew the message of Christ very well. His sermons were the reason that churches were flourishing all over the Roman Empire. His failure in Athens is just one in a plethora of success stories. He's not the confident, eloquent, philosophical genius that everyone wants him to be, but because he's not those things, when people believe his message, it's because God is working on their hearts, not because Paul's words have convinced them of anything. That is the essential difference that Paul wants the Corinthians to understand. Human wisdom must be imparted by eloquent, eloquent words and understood completely to be gained. But God's wisdom can only be understood when we get our hearts involved. There are always two kinds of people when Paul goes into a town to preach. Those who hear his sermons and walk away, and those who are so moved, they choose to make drastic life changes and commitments to Christ. How does that work? 
How did two people hear the same words and come out of it completely different? Human wisdom would say that's not possible. Human wisdom would argue that if two people heard the same lesson, they were equally intelligent and similar in very many ways, that they should learn the same thing. But that's not what happens when people hear about Jesus. There is something about God's wisdom that, as Paul puts it, is secret and hidden. If you accept God's wisdom, we must also accept the mystery of it. And accepting mystery is not something the world trains us well to do. We learn in schools and universities concrete facts, things that describe something that are true for everyone. That is what we are learned, uh, taught to do to learn in the rest of our lives. But Paul wants us to see the value in what we cannot possibly describe. The things no human has ever heard, Human wisdom teaches through ears and eyes, but God speaks through our hearts. Every one of us has experienced something we cannot describe. Some may categorize it as supernatural. You felt something or saw something that you can't describe to anyone else. Maybe you've made a decision based on a gut instinct that you could never describe to someone else why you picked one option over the other. It just felt right. Or maybe you have experienced love. You've loved somebody or been loved by someone else despite flaws and shortcomings. Love makes no human sense. Sure, human wisdom can figure out what love does to our brains, that we release endorphins, that some faces make us release more endorphins. Human wisdom and science try to explain love as just a chemical reaction. But there's more to it. Music also has this unexplainable element to it. Science can explain how how sound is made. We know that sound is made by vibrations that an object makes a sound, that vibration makes a longitudinal wave that travels out, hits your ear, your ear is specially formed to hear and gather those longitudinal waves and produce something in your brain that tells you a sound has happened. Now I could go on and on and tell you about how ears and brains do it, but there's Google, so you can look that up later if you're interested in it. After we receive those waves, Sound does something in the human brain that human wisdom cannot figure out. Our brains understand music. Music is what happens when rhythm, timbre, and pitch come together to create patterns out of noises. Rhythm is the beat a song has, something that we can predict and a pattern that we can follow and continue forward. Some of us are better at following a rhythm than others, but we all know it's there. Timbre is the texture of a sound, the difference between the bells and a piano and an organ. They may play the same note, but you can tell me that was a bell or that was a piano. Some, uh, so some primates can also um, get the rhythm. They can like 
get a beat and follow it along in laboratory tests. Some rodents can tell you what timbre is and they can pick an instrument out of a maze. And then comes pitch, which is the speed that a wavelength is based on different notes. Every note has a different pitch. Birds communicate through different pitches, but if you change their song just one note higher or lower, or even just in the next octave, they have no idea what's going on. Human brains are the only ones that can put together these three things, rhythm, timbre, and pitch, and decipher the difference between a noisy construction site and music. Science is then also baffled by the way music can affect our feelings. I'm sure many of you have cried during a song or heard something on the radio that you just had to dance to. Human wisdom has no idea why that is. If we were to hear a major scale, we feel happier than if we were to hear a minor scale. There's something creepy and, and weird about the minor scale, isn't there? Most of the theories about why this works say that major scales have brightness, they have a sense of resolution, but major is not a universally happy sound to humans. In Indonesia, major scales sound sad and minor scales sound happy. We hear physically the same sound, but something in our hearts learn to respond differently. Human wisdom can explain the physical, but gets tripped up when the heart and our feelings get involved. Paul says that's because the heart is God's classroom. The Spirit of God teaches from the inside out. And if we have taken the Spirit to be our guide, then when human wisdom fails, the Spirit steps in to fill the gap. Even though it's a mystery, Believers accept the effect of their feelings as true and real. When you dance to a song, no one asks you, why did you get up? It's acceptable to dance when you hear a good song. A few years ago, I had the honor to go on a trip to Kenya, and we met with some girls who had left their families walking long mile distances or sometimes running to escape from female genital mutilation. Most of these girls were the first in their tribe to ever say no to this ancient honor and tradition. Now, this is a hard thing for us to understand, but imagine one day waking up and being totally convinced that eating an apple is wrong. You come to this conclusion even though every other person you've ever met eats apples. You believe this despite every person around you saying it is healthy and safe. In fact, it's such an honor to eat apples that they hold a party for you the first time you have one. But right before that party, you decide you don't want to. You get death threats from your loved ones. Your parents say they will hold you down and force this on you. Your only choices are to eat the apple or run away. And running away means you're on your own. As a child, there's very little opportunities for you. Most likely, it's worse out there than it is here. 
But despite all this, something inside you tells you, go. That is the choice that these girls made, to refuse a rite of passage that every woman they have ever met in their lives have gone through, to refuse an honor that by refusing puts them in danger. It means they have to leave their whole world, everything they've ever known, behind. This realization blew my mind, and as we talked to the girls, we asked them, what made you decide? Who told you that you could do this, that this was even an option? They didn't really have an answer. But I was convinced I wanted to know what this was. So I saw one of the girls sitting alone, and I asked her privately, what made you leave? All she could say was, the Holy Spirit. Paul says that God's wisdom is taught to the mature, those who are listening and open to hearing, even the hard truths. The world will not be happy with her answer. The world will want it explained, her motives revealed. The world will want proof of the Spirit's influence. But what more proof do we need than a life saved from violence? God's wisdom is beyond today's knowledge. No human has seen or heard or can even comprehend. That's what makes this wisdom hard to describe and explain. But for those of us willing to learn, it is a wisdom that is taught that we just know inside is true. It's uncomfortable to know something that you don't understand. The world will always be suspicious of such wisdom. We will forever be asked to explain, why did you leave? What made you choose that over this? How could you believe that? And when we can't explain ourselves, we feel silly, inadequate, even stupid for feeling so strongly about something we can't even describe. But that insecurity is what makes us the best advocates for God. It means our success, our changed lives, are not because we are the smartest or we've trained the hardest. All the credit goes to the Spirit who inspires us from within. Embrace that mystery. Do not let the fear or trembling deter you from showing the world how God's wisdom has changed your life. When asked how or why or what, answer as simply as you can. And if you can't find any words, simply answer like that Kenyan girl, the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>